This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Congratulations. Welcome to 2023. No, Woo. you did it. Do we the bell. did it. You got the bells. Every, oh, hey. I, 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 I. <laughs> yeah. Hey, can you get sued for saying yabba dabba do? No, no. No? No. It's not trademarked in some unscrupulous way? It's, it's uh, you. I think it would depend on how you did it. Like if it was Yabba Dabba Doo with the Flintstones theme behind it. Right. Uh, right. Max, super producer Max. What? Let's give it up for him. I, yeah. I know it's tempting. Check, check us on that. Yeah. yeah. But we, we <laughs> know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's got to be public domain by now. No, maybe no. not. I mean, no. Not it gets re-upped. I'm sure that one. You just have um, to make something that's basically the Flintstones, but a little different, like Family Guy, you know? Totally. Remember Scooby-Doo? does Scooby Dooby Doo, which is very adjacent to Yabba Dabba Doo, but that's also in the Hanna-Barbera universe still. Mm-hmm. So they're allowed to steal from themselves. What's this got to do with anything? Nothing. We could uh, do you know. Rabba Habba, Rabba Habba Who. Ben can figure out the transition. If anyone can do it, Ben is the master <laughs> of transitions, of, of non sequitur transitions. Let's see. Let's, let's see what you got, Ben. Oh, man. How do we go from Yabba Dabba Doo to, to Gangster's Paradise? <laughs> First off, 
Wonderful song. Uh, the, yeah, this is this is something that's been on our, our minds for a while. As you know, folks, we took, uh, Noel and Max and I took some time, uh, a little uh, R&R, a little ridiculous romance, I think you called it, Noel. Uh, and we hope you had a wonderful, wonderful end of the year as well. Even though calendars are relatively arbitrary, it's fun to have things like We did like an episode that. on that. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did indeed. And, uh, <clears throat> and so when we're talking about Flintstones, we're talking about uh, Hanna-Barbera and uniting. Uh, what I love that you pointed out, Noel, is that Scooby-Doo is indeed in the same universe. And in my mind, that makes them strange guy, bedfellows, right? In my mind, this I know, I know, whatever, we're kicking off the rust. In, in my mind, this makes them strange bedfellows. And when we think of strange bedfellows, uh, there's almost no better example in American history than this very weird story. We've got a lot of people to thank, Noel. You were telling he me- there, uh, He got there. We should thank Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, Steve <laughs> Buscemi and his weird eyes uh -huh. that are really fun to superimpose onto Disney princesses. Oh, yeah. Google it. You'll uh, be delighted slash terrified. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, Boardwalk Empire, um, sort of, I, I guess it was a hit. It, it, did, it did see itself out to its conclusion, but I felt like it wasn't like Sopranos level in terms of the way it impacted like the zeitgeist. But I very much liked it. I think they fudged some history here and there, but they largely, <laughs> you know, hit the broad strokes in terms of folks like L Lucky Luciano oh, yeah. and, uh, you know, Al Capone and, you know, sort of like origin stories of a lot of these largely looming mafioso figures, you know, mm. in history. But what it didn't really go into was a connection between the U.S. military, uh, fascism, and said uh, largely looming gangster figures. Yeah, now it might sound like we got together before we recorded and just pulled three ideas out of a hat. Like you said, no. We do do that sometimes. We, we have done that. Uh, and it's actually worked. Uh, we're not going to tell you which ones, though. You'll have to guess. Uh, but I love, I love the setup here because, you know, when you think of Uncle Sam, right? According to history textbooks, and you think of organized crime, you see them as two opposed forces. But as we've learned in ridiculous history and in stuff they don't want you to know, that's not always the case. Now, fascism nowadays, fascism is pretty much universally acknowledged to be a bad thing. Fascism, bad. Yeah. Democracy, fine. good eh, on paper. Eh. You know what I mean? Better than fascism. Yeah. 100%. That should be the tagline for democracy. It's better, better than, than fascism. fascism. Uh, democracy, not great, but better than fascism. Who was it? I, I can't remember who it was who said um, that democracy was the something like the least worst way to run, right. run a government. Yeah, big fan of, of saying things like the the most best or the least worst. Yes. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's true. And, you know, even uh, folks, uh, well, you know, I mean, a lot of these Italian-American immigrants who, who kind of created or sowed the seeds of what would become La Cosa Nostra in America, um, they you know, Italy was uh, under a fascist regime, you know, under under Mussolini. And so they they didn't care for that uh, as a as a, uh, a political direction either, you know, because they'd seen what it could cause or even, you know, maybe their folks back home were subject to it. Yeah. Yeah. And look, are there good guys in today's story? Sort of, but this is a media one. This is a two-parter. We wanted to open the year yeah. with, with a Reactive nice two-parter. Two -parter. Dun, dun, dun. That's why we got two bells. Uh, so 
<laughs> yes. Yes. It's your Christmas presents, by the way, from friend of the show, Rowan Newby. Yes, who appeared on our Idiomatic for the People series. Uh, we've got to get him and our pal Frank. Frank! Back on. Uh, so we're going to have more guests, but, but right now it's just the four of us. Noel, Max, yours truly, and you uh, listening along at home to learn a very weird story. All right, so why why do we say they're not necessarily 100% good guys in this? Well, the U.S. government during World War II got even more into institutionalized racism, and they did it not because they just woke up and said, hey, let's be jerks. They did it because they were terrified. The Axis powers had brought chaos across the world, and so the U.S. government started saying, well, what about all the citizens of our country who have heritage in Japan or Italy or Germany? How American are they? Can we trust them? And as a result, oh, they started doing some really terrible things to these innocent people. Yeah, I mean, unless they forget that, like, a big selling point of America was this whole melting pot, you know, uh, ideology, like, send us your poor, you're tired, you're hungry, and all that. Unless, you know, they're potential turncoats uh, from a, from a, a, an enemy uh, state uh, like Japan, uh, Germany, or Italy. Mm-hmm. They were worried that because of where their sympathies might lie, um, that they could potentially be a rot from within. You know, they could actually cause problems uh, for the United States um, from from the ground, you know, or, or like perhaps participate in plotting and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And certainly we know things like that do happen, but it's almost always on a pretty small, lone wolfy, individualistic kind of scale. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Ben. I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Yeah, yeah uh, If this was an overblown concern. Yeah, the idea too was that it was it was rooted in the assumption that these people because of their because of their heritage would somehow be un-American even if you know their grandparents were the folks who immigrated and they knew nothing but like the Bronx you know or Manhattan so this all starts I I, I do agree with you um they are worried about domestic terrorism but they're kind of attributing a larger conspiracy to something without proof because they're basing it racism. Anyway, it all hits the fan in 1942, or that's when the spark is lit. There's a U.S. troop carrier ship. It was originally called the SS Normandy, and it had been renamed the USS Lafayette. It catches fire and sinks in the harbor in Manhattan, and the authorities believe this may be sabotage. This may be the work of a saboteur, a domestic terrorist. And so... So the government says, you know who we got to check out? Those dock workers. And then some other guy goes, yeah, hey, a lot of them are Italian, aren't they? So they started investigating and they came up with bupkis and they said, okay, we need some experts on the ground here. We need some, we need some folks who understand the lay of the land. And again, because of their prejudice, they immediately went to not like an Italian-American civic or community center. No, they went to the mob. And that's why Lucky Luciano is a big star of today's show. That's right. Um, Luciano had immigrated to the United States um, and settled 
on the Lower East Side of New York City or uh, Manhattan um, at the age of 10 uh, and very, very early on became a member of the, the notorious Five Points Gang. Oh, man. Um, which, if I'm not mistaken, is like, that's the, the I guess, escalation. Or, I mean, I guess it wouldn't have been exactly the same time as the Gangs of New York era. Oh, it was era. New York, to say, yes. Uh, the Scorsese picture where they're wearing the nice stovepipe hats. That would have been like the earliest iteration of that mob or that, that gang. Um, this, you know, I guess if he was born... Yeah, in the twelve, I don't know. That, that was like in the eight, like early, like late eighteen hundreds. I want to say. Yeah, the um, you're right. Yeah, the the Five Points Gang originally started off uh, with Irish American members, and it was in the late nineteenth century, so late eighteen hundreds. You nailed yes. it. So no, so it, it, maybe as a child, it would have been. Yeah, that that lines up, doesn't it? Yeah. He might have had himself a stovepipe hat, mm-hmm. you know, and been rolling deep with Daniel Day-Lewis and mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio type fellas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if I'm picturing a 10-year-old with a stovepipe hat, I'm I'm picturing an Animal Crossing character. I'm just going to be honest with you. He probably And I adorable. envy what you're picturing, Ben. I mean, this <laughs> sounds delightful. Uh, stovepipe hat just kind of makes everything seem, you know, it's like hard to take a guy seriously wearing a skinny stovepipe hat. Mm-hmm. But I think that's sort of what the, what the goal is. It's like, you know, you underestimate me and then boom, you get knifed. Yeah, maybe there's a practical thing. I mean, think of the potential storage space. Anyway, uh, we're pretty sure that Luciano joins the gang, not because he's into the aesthetics or the haberdashery, but uh, more so, like many young people, there aren't a lot of alternatives, right? Uh, There's a lot of discrimination in the community. And this stuff still happens and leads to the formation of gangs in the U.S. and abroad today. But big things were happening in the country at this time. Prohibition starts, Mm -hmm. right? The time we've talked about on the show multiple times. It's back when um, Uncle Sam had the cartoonishly daft idea to make booze illegal. uh, And then, you know, they paved the way for unprecedented profits in organized crime. And, you know, the government was in on it too. Anyway, so this prohibition was an act of buffoonery, as well-intentioned as it might be. Uh, It was pretty much doomed to fail. And this was a great time to be in organized crime, right? You've got a brand new income stream. The money is rolling in. And Luciano in 1920 is recruited as a gunman by uh, Giuseppe Masseria, otherwise known as Joe the Boss. Mm-hmm. That's an awkward yeah. nickname, though, isn't it? Joe the Boss, yeah. I mean, as, as you would say, Ben, in a burst of creativity, it's a pretty self-serving nickname. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he had something to do with giving it to himself. Oh, he's just us. going around speakeasies going, you know, a lot of people call me Joe call the me, Boss. They call me Joe the Boss. I'll tell you why. It's because <laughs> I'm the boss. Oh, that's baby. sad. Making yeah. your own nickname. Yeah. Um, but then, so we, we, well, you know, let's be fair. Joe the Boss is not exactly top tier right. mafia history, you know, fodder. I've never heard of, of Joe the Boss. Have you, Max? Oh, absolutely not. I've yeah. never heard of it. But I, I do want to make a shout out to one of my friends, uh, my friend Greg. He is uh, known for uh, his many attempts of trying to give himself a nickname. Yeah. And it's, a, he's, it's a move. I'll give you that. And he's really come to regret it. So, like, you know, there was one time he was hanging out with me and my friend Phil, and he's like, call me Cougar. No, call me Mountain Lion. It's like, well, man, it sounds like you want to be called a cat, so let's give you a cat name, like Mr. Fuzzy Paws. Aw. 
Here's the thing, though, with those nicknames. The rules work. Um, the rules work counterintuitively in the criminal underground. Like if you were ever unfortunate enough to be incarcerated, then you need to know that the person with the most innocuous sounding nickname is the most dangerous. There's some Correct. guy called Snakebite, might be a cool dude. You need to watch out for the guy named Smurf. Don't yeah. like talk to yeah. him. Snakebite's a big old cuddly, sweetie bear. Sure, Smurf, absolutely. cold-blooded, dead-eyed killer. Yes. Uh, uh, or, you know, sometimes the ones you really have to look out for are the ones that would never get blood on their hands, or as they say in rap, never touch dope. Uh, like Arnold Rothstein, played wonderfully, one of my favorite performances in the whole series in Boardwalk Empire by Michael Stolberg, um, who we know from A Serious Man, and uh, he's also in that new movie Bones and All, which looks, looks really interesting. It's oh, a little yeah, divisive, I but uh, I am interested in it, but uh, Rothstein was an incredibly cr a key figure in the early days of organized crime in the United States, um, and, you know, again, just like running all the, 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 uh, the, the grifts, you know, and really Ooh. kind of writing the rule book for how organized crime would really play out and like, you know, how uh, the mafia would essentially, um, you know, just create constant revenue streams from various sources. And he worked with uh, Luciano, who was uh, making millions in the 1920s, mid 1920s, bootlegging, like you said, Ben, because of that genius idea Uncle Sam had. Let's make everything illegal. Everyone <laughs> will just take it, right? Nobody, they'll, they'll be fine. Oh, no, instead they opened up the black market in a very, very real way. Ooh. So um, Rothstein, though, was in fact murdered, which opened up a big old vacancy in the uh, in the crime world, which Luciano happily filled. Yes, yeah. Rothstein, by the way, his nickname was The Brain. Uh, and he actually was from a pretty well-to-do family. Uh, That's right. His older brother, who he always resented, uh, became a rabbi. So that was he was the like favorite child. Anyway, yes, you you nailed it. It's you live by the crime, you die by the crime. So goes Rothstein off stage, and Luciano returns to work for Joe the Boss. Yeah, who was really the one filling the gap? Really, I mean, Luciano was still sort of more of a trigger man. Yeah, he wasn't like really, you know. Mm -hmm, yeah, exactly. And th by this time, our buddy, <laughs> our buddy Joe, I'm just laughing because it's so, it's just cartoonish. Uh, he has promoted himself in the nickname game. And now he's walking around saying, you know, a lot of people call me boss of bosses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say this. He definitely got an honorable mention in a creative writing class. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's, okay. Fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. Boss it. of boss. That's like, you know, that's like some... Jesus Christ kind of stuff, you know, like King of Kings, Lord of Lords and all that stuff. Um, boss of bosses. Boss of bosses. Yeah, exactly. I'm the, I'm the boss boss. That's a British thing. I like that one. Just mm. being the boss boss. Uh, but at this point, the boss of bosses um, decided it was time to clean house, you know, to really make some room for his uh, entrepreneurial spirit to, to thrive. So he went to war like you do with mm. a rival boss of bosses or the Duke, as he was known, Salvador. Maranzano. Maranzano, yeah. And Luciano is not um, a guy really given to a moral compass or nor loyalty. So he sides with the Duke in this crazy crime war, and he helps set up the boss of bosses for an assassination in 1931. So Joe the boss is murdered with the help of his own lieutenant. 
Uh, and before 1931 ends, Luciano and his other colleagues, who are now being called the Young Turks, they also kill the Duke. And now they're they're saying there's a new um, there, there's a new regime in the criminal underground. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know who also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel? Well, I think you know. It's hmm. Harry's. Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorant. Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful. I do really enjoy uh, their line of self-care products. Um, richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like redwood, wild lens, and stone. You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often wondered. Only well, you know you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history. 
Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. Maranzano's assassination comes about because of a, a gang from Murder Incorporated. Shout yeah. out to you, Ja Rule. Uh, and, and Noel, you're more familiar with Boardwalk Empire. Do they get into any of this stuff here? It escapes me at the moment. I, you know, they're, 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 they cover a lot of ground mm-hmm. uh, in a relatively tight, you know, I think three or four seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't quite remember. But I, I do want to say um, there is an actual brick-and-mortar place and an associated website called the Mob Museum. Yes. The National Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement, uh, which we got a good bit of this um, this research from. And it is in uh, downtown Las Vegas. Not so to profile. It did, yeah, it does make a little <laughs> bit of sense. Uh, I definitely want to check it. I think I'm actually going to Vegas for the very, very, very first time um, in a couple of months. So oh. I definitely plan to to make a trip there. I'm finding all this out in real time, folks. So, uh, yeah. I'm nice. Anything special? It. Well, Ben, let's not spill the beans yet because surprise, surprise, pretty sure you're going to be going too. And we might be doing a little something about the very topic we're discussing right now. Oh, but that's right. Secret put the project. Car before the horse. Yeah. yeah. So oh gosh. Folks, it's so hard for us to like, we're, we're guys who literally talk for a job. So we're, we're so weirdly proud of ourselves when we can keep a project secret. Um, yeah. yeah, this is a great teaser though. So, all right, Luciano, as a result of all these assassinations, Luciano comes in as, as you would, um, kind of foreshadowed earlier, Noel, to fill the vacuum of leadership. And he loves organizing. He likes ha- having meetings. He's one of those guys, you know? He, yeah. he like, has parties and stuff. So. Yeah, scrapbooking parties even, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A real stickler for the details and for, you know, paste. Mm-hmm. And, he had the and funny acetate, scissors. And sheets of, yeah, the funny scissors. And those, what are those plastic sheets, acetate? Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. Know, the stuff that you put on top of the mm-hmm. pages so that the pictures don't get ruffled. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was also, of course, still uh, into crime. And he continued this cooperative, this loose confederacy called the Five Families, the Committee of the Five Families. And this would go on to control all the East Coast criminal rackets for decades and decades. But Luciano wanted a little more credibility. He said, I don't want to call myself boss of bosses. It's kind of sad and lame to go around Mm -hmm. telling people to call me that. Little Uh, gosh. Yeah, uh, just call me the chairman of the board. And now we're going to have national meetings. (laughs) And we're going to organize this. We're going to get a spreadsheet involved. Let's avoid the blood and let's make money together. And it's funny, too, speaking of Vegas, you know who went on to borrow that nickname? Who? Frank Sinatra. Oh, that's right. He was he was referred to that's as the right. chairman of the board. Yeah. Uh, don't know if he ever directly murdered anybody, but I wouldn't be surprised with his connections if he maybe had some people oh, killed. 100%. He also did some pretty dastardly stuff. He was the guy who... Oh, had, he's a dirty, dirty yeah, boy. He's a dirty yeah. boy. He had a he had a quotation where he said, it's amazing what a broad will do for a buck or something like that. Yikes. Yeah. And he wasn't talking about choreography. No. Uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah, this... Okay, so Luciano is still continuing criminal enterprises, but he's trying to make it more corporate, essentially. And he also 
immediately gets a target on his back because he's a very public leader of a group that does very illegal stuff. Mm -hmm. And law enforcement has their eye on him, specifically a young prosecutor, up-and-comer in New York, named Thomas Dewey. Yes, and uh, Dewey and his assistant, who was uh, an African-American woman named Eunice Carter, uh, they were seeing some things. They were they were making some observations, and they were finding them pretty sus uh, in terms of the uh, sex workers who were being arrested that they, you know, that they were seeing filtering through the justice system were being represented by uh, the same bondsmen and lawyers that worked for Luciano. Hmm. Huh. Wonder what that's about. <laughs> this sounds like a conspiracy to me. Uh, yeah. So <clears throat> they they said, "All right, let's strike while the iron is hot." We're going to do a massive raid in 1936. Carter and Dewey raid tons of brothels throughout New York. They arrest more than 100 people and a lot, and they set bail pretty high. Of the people they arrest, uh, most are women, and quite a few of them cannot afford the $10,000 bail. $10,000 in 1936. You want to inflation Might calculate well. it? Yeah, oh my God, can we boop, boop, beep, boop, boop. <laughs> boop. $10,000 in 1936 is worth $214,395.68. Can we just say, too, I'm not trying to high horse or soapbox here, yeah. but a lot of these, you know, these types of prohibitions were based in sort of puritanical uh, Christian morals and there's all this morality, you know, mongering or whatever. And uh, I, I think it's absurd that sex work is still illegal in, in many parts of, of the world, you know? I mean, it's uh, it, it's absolutely something that's based in this kind of evangelical, you know, bent. Sex work is real work, you know what yes. I mean? And we have- Hard work. Yeah, and- um, to pretend otherwise is just willfully misleading. And and also, you know, to again, without soapboxing too much, we have to admit the reality of this, which continues today. A lot of these people who are being arrested are victims themselves. They've been forced They've into been trafficked. This. Right, right. They're not doing it for funsies. And so some of the people who get arrested they flip and they give information to the prosecution team that leads to lucky Luciano having an unlucky arrest. And he gets uh, taken to trial in 1936. On June 6th of that year, he's convicted on no less than 62 separate charges of compulsory prostitution, which lands him 30 to 50 years in the state pen. And he can't get out of it. He can't buy his way out of it. So uh, after after he gets the message and he sees the writing on the wall, he turns over leadership of the National Commission of Mafioso to a guy named Frank Costello. Also, I just want to kind of jump in here real quick and point out that we have an upcoming episode where we're going to talk about Thomas Dewey a little bit more and a part of history that he is in an exclusive group with that is not uh, a group you want to be part of, let's just say. Yes, an artfully done tease by super producer Max Williams, uh, especially because uh, off mic, I don't know about you, Noel, but I was thinking, oh, right. Oh, do we? Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> do we? We did that one. 
I remember that. <laughs> no, we. it is not an episode that we have recorded yet. It is one that is in the works. So it was a nice to realize that we have completely lost our minds mm-hmm. uh, during these uh, quote-unquote downtimes. Uh, but moving on, we got a big high-watermark moment mm-hmm. in history and in this story. And just, uh, you know, let's talk about looming large. Pearl Harbor. Heard of it? Seen the movie? Not very good. But the events, you know, absolutely was a trigger, obviously, for our intervention into uh, the war and for further uh, anti-foreigner kind of mentality in the United States. And the idea of truly cracking down on these perceived outsiders because of what they might be able to accomplish, you know, in secret communications with their, you know, their masters uh, across the pond. Yeah, this, okay, so we're going back to, we're picking up that thread we laid down in the beginning about the U.S. government. And uh, this this is what we mean when we say this story is meaty. We're, we're like, we're cinematically cutting into all these different uh, slices of American history. You're absolutely right, Noel. Uh, people were trying to play the spy game, right? It's its own separate theater of every war. And The ONI, Office of Naval Intelligence, knew that war was coming. And by the mid-1930s, they had started building up this core of reserve officers they called the Naval Intelligence Volunteer Service, or NIVs. These folks were not your typical shake-and-bake soldiers or your typical enlisted members of the Navy. They were lawyers. They worked with the newspapers. They might be PIs. They might be executives at shipping companies. Uh, They might be linguists. Just they were kind of assembling um, like a heist crew for intelligence. They they had their specialties. uh, And then they were given training. They were not paid. In 1935, there were 500 of them. But by 1940, there were almost 3,000. And they started getting their cards pulled. They were called up to active duty. Also, shout out to the Naval Criminal Investigative Services History Project. Yes. Uh, NCISAHistoryProject.org or NCISAHistory.org. What a specific uh, um, organization. I love it. Rear Admiral Tom Brooks. Yeah, exactly. Our research associate, Zach, uh, Dr. Zach, found this wonderful article by Rear Admiral Tom Brooks, retired uh, U.S. Navy, um, that really goes into detail about the naval intelligence connection with the mafia during World War II. So this is like fabulous um, research material that if anyone wants to read the full thing, it's a PDF that you can get online. And uh, we highly recommend you doing so. Yeah, and big thanks, of course, to Admiral Brooks. Uh, So in the beginning of 1942, uh, as any World War II enthusiast knows, German U-boats were hammering the supply lines of the Allied forces. And in just January of that year, Axis submarines had sunk 20 different Allied vessels, including a tanker. And the tanker was a very scary shot across the bow because that thing was taken down just 60 miles off the Long Island coast. And people were saying, how can German submarines, German submarines, get all the way across the pond and and operate on the coastline of the United States? Somebody call those naval intelligence dudes. And they said, here's what we think's happening. We think that there are some very unpatriotic people on the East Coast 
and they're using their American fishing vessels to resupply these submarines somewhere near Long Island. These guys might be ex-prohibition folks who, you know, lost all their money when the U.S. got over prohibition, or it might be a huge conspiracy of more or less like spies, sleeper agents, all around the port of New York. So they call in a guy named Captain Roscoe McFall, who is a naval veteran. Uh, He has been with the Navy for 40 years. He knows his stuff. He's the chief intelligence officer uh, for the 3rd Naval District. And that's a huge region. That's New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut all together. Yeah, exactly. So the captain was very much in need of uh, taking quick action uh, in order for the Allied war effort to be a success. On February 9th, 1942, fire engines responded to uh, a massive uh, blaze at Pier 88 in Manhattan. This was a a fire, uh, an arson, let's call it, call it what it is, uh, that destroyed the French-built superliner, is what they referred to as, the Normandy. Uh, And this is um, something that, you know, couldn't be... (laughs) could be ignored both uh, physically and uh, and geopolitically. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we we don't have to do the sound effect, but for everybody wondering, $5 million in 1942 is worth more than $91 million today. A boop. A boop. Indeed. And uh, not the kind of boop you want to get, right? So the fire that takes down the Normandy, people are, are jumping to and they're trying to not just contain the fire, but also save the port and the other ships, right? So the fire boats are dumping hundreds of thousands of gallons of water onto the superliner, and they mess up because they put so much water on it that the ship goes into a list. So it gets wonky by about 30 degrees. Everybody looking is panicking, right? Uh, And this is a huge huge L for the American forces. This vessel could carry 10,000 troops. It could go across the Atlantic in just four days in less than a week. So, of course, the Navy says, all right, somebody else knew how important this ship was. We think it was probably the Nazis. Our guy, Captain Roscoe, says, look, I read the FBI file and the FBI's explanation says this was an accident, a spark from a blowtorch. I don't buy it. This is also a symbolic attack. It makes us look weak. And we need to figure out what's really going on here. So Captain Roscoe gets those uh, Navy operatives in plain clothes. They're not dressed as sailors. And I really like the way that Gregory Peduto describes it at Warfare History Network. I think we both love this. Uh, We'll just read you the quote here. Plainclothes Navy operatives descended upon the New York docks seeking information. With their best Jimmy Cagney impersonations, Ivy League-educated naval officers crept into the raucous haunts frequented by longshoremen. The stevedores met the agents with a threatening brick wall of silence. Mm. I like the Cagney impersonation for some reason. I, I do. I also love the uh, the brick wall of silence. That's <laughs> what they made you sit in in uh, in elementary school. Oh when, yeah, when people got to rock us. You know, okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna do the brick wall of silence, children. And this is uh, this is a strange thing for us uh, to to think about 
right? This is an intelligence operation now. And these guys who might be a little divided by class because they're from the upper crust and they're trying to talk to dock workers, these guys don't get immediate success, right? Because the officers are very much outside of this culture. And a lot of these ship workers are just instinctively not going to trust someone they A, don't know, and B, is wearing a uniform. It doesn't matter who they are. We're just rejecting that authority. And the longshoremen... Love that uh, uh, job title, by the way. For the longest time, I didn't know what it meant, but you always heard people using it to refer to kind of a roughneck, you Mm -hmm. know, like someone that's a little bit uh, uh, rough around the edges that might swear a little bit, perhaps catcall a lady. Uh Um, But no, it it does refer to individuals who load and unload ships. And the the term is sort of like a, a shortening, I guess, of along the shore. There are folks who hang out along the shore. And, uh, you know, the technology obviously has changed over the years to render them a little bit less, you know, crucial. But, but it used to be they would even, like, have these poles and, like, pull the, the boats in closer and then unload them and all that stuff. Yeah, and this... Great okay. season of uh, the, the Wire. Wire, talking yes. About, uh, talking about longshoremen in, in Baltimore. And the mob really does control this industry, these longshoremen. Uh, and... The mob has given the green light to these guys to beat the snot out of people who are asking too many questions. A reporter right. down at the docks, you know, better better walk right, as they say in Midnight Special. Uh, Indeed. And uh, so... <sighs> because, you know, yeah. the, 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 the idea of the mob controlling the longshoremen... It, it, you probably put this together yourselves or you've, you've seen or read about it. It's so they could... Steal things. Oh, 100%. You know, it, it is literally the the entryway into the world of goods, you know, mm-hmm. coming in. And, uh, you know, it's, oop, it fell off the back of a truck, that whole expression, you know, or out, out of a boat. And they would do it in such a way where it wouldn't, you know, raise so much suspicion. So it had to be done kind of in an organized fashion. And that was controlled by by the mob. And they had a, they had a portfolio of pursuits regarding the the ports and shipping because you could also cooperate with uh some third party to hold a shipment at a port right and screw somebody else's business over you could force people to pay protection money right to make sure their stuff doesn't fall off the the back of the proverbial truck you're making money hand over fist is what we're saying and the navy quickly realizes that they cannot infiltrate this they're just, they're not doing it the right way. And they may not have the tools to do so because the American mafia runs the harbor. And we had a, this is something from Warfare History Network. Uh, O&I warrant officer named Maurice Kelly talked about this, uh, talked about this with the benefit of retrospect. And this is a pretty, pretty blunt uh, description of what they were dealing with. That's right. And he said this. Only the American mafia claimed an utter dominance of the dock. Union officials and people in illegal operations along the waterfront had as much influence with conditions on the dock as the shipping people themselves. And in many cases, to your point, Ben, more. Oh, yeah. Um, So the Navy saw this as as a point of opportunity. You know, like if we play nice with the mob, then they can give us insider information that will help us in our efforts, you know, to uh, to root out the the rats, as Ooh. I guess it were. A lesser evil 
right? Kind right. of an ends justify the means. And it's one of those things where you say, like, okay, this is temporary arrangements. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're you, we're going to help you. You're going to help us. And then, you know, when all this is over, we're probably going to go back to being bitter enemies. You know? Exactly. Exactly. It's, uh, it's the way we deal with Jonathan Strickland. Correct. <laughs> so, uh, Correct. Uh, so, oh, man. It was uh, a bit of a crime lord uh, of, 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 of annoyance uh, himself. You know mm, what I mean? Yeah. Oh, man. I uh, got to love him, though. Because, you know, he's unapologetic nah, you really, about you don't have You don't have to. Well, he just goes in. He commits. <laughs> is what he says commit to the bit. No question. <laughs> so, uh, so, yes, strange bedfellows. Indeed, the Navy is weighing this moral quandary, but not very long. And you can understand their calculus because they're saying, we don't want to be the people who were in charge when the next superliner goes down, when the next mm-hmm. vessel is attacked. And we all know... We were too Pollyanna to really solve the problem. So they say, all right, we're going to try to just swallow our pride for a second, work with the mob because we have to fight a greater evil, right? And they can make a good appeal to the mob too because it's like, hey, you guys, things that are bad for the U.S. might also be bad for your bottom line. And that's what you care about. So, right. so yeah, yeah you know, it was it was a a very quid pro quo kind of situation, and they had to kind of make the sales pitch uh, to the mob. But you know, they, <laughs> right. they sort of saw they sort of saw the benefit. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car is called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your teen enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you. Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising, one with smaller ships, 
bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch. So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch? So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online, and by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Yeah, this is, okay, this is... This is where it gets very strange. So they figure it out. We don't know what that boardroom or that meeting room looks like, but eventually they they concede they're going to have to contact the mob, just like you said, Noel. But this guy, Lucky Luciano, has uh, has been sent up the river. And there are a lot of people who are trying to run things at this point, you know, in addition to Costello. So there's this guy named Joseph... Lanza. His friends call him Socks. <laughs> like uh, like the Clinton's cat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Clinton's cat is named after Joseph Lanza. To your point, Ben, I bet this guy was an absolute psychopath with a name like that. He had to have been, you know, like they call him Socks because he, you know, cuts your feet off. Yeah. I don't know. Why do they, hey, why do they call him Socks? I pray you never find out. I pray you never find out. Uh, no, nah, he's, he's just a big fan of fancy socks, you know? Yeah, and uh, right. You wear those garter, those men's garter things that hold your socks up. Oh, yeah. I think yeah, all yeah. gangsters did in those days. It was of the fashion. It was so weird. Having your socks tall was way more important back then. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I want, you know, that's one I don't miss. I think it was just more of an era of tailored suits, and that often meant like the pant, the the height of the pants were a little bit shorter. You know, that was the style, so you would see the sock. You'd be more likely to see the sock. Yeah, I love a tailored suit though, and that uh, unreservedly. So this guy socks. We can tell you the real reason for his name, and it's not as funny as it's not as good as our ideas. Just to be honest. Uh, not blowing smoke. I'm just objectively, we have better pitches. His real, uh, the, the real origin of his name, Socks, comes from his insane fighting ability. He's like a one-punch knockout dude. And he oversees Manhattan's Fulton Fish Market for his buddy, Lucky Luciano. And because Lucky Luciano is getting locked up for decades, an assistant district attorney named Murray Gerfine and uh, the lawyer, the mob lawyer for old Joe's, Joey Sox, they get together and they say, hey, maybe this is our guy that we approach about helping us fight for America. Maybe we can appeal to his patriotism. Maybe we can pay him. Let's just, let's see, let's figure something out because we think it's an opportune time. 
That's so funny, Ben. I think I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, uh, there's a character in The Sopranos named Joey Pants. <laughs> I um, love it. He would have he would have been right at home with Joey Socks. And ah, God, we we jumped the gun with our conjecture about the sock nickname. But still, it's easy to mistake socks. I mean, back in the day, you know, I guess I sock you in the jaw or whatever. But still, I think it was ambiguous enough to 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 warrant uh, our theory about you know our ideas were just nickname. good. Our ideas mm-hmm. were good. We should be in charge of more nicknames. We should. We yeah, I was chairman of the board of nicknames. <laughs> um, so yes, this is Fulton Fish Market, which is in fact a, an active fish market, but also a hotbed of illegal activity. So around midnight on March 26, 1942, uh, there was a bit of a huddle on a bench, a bench huddle. Gotta love those. Uh, uptown in a park called Riverside Park, lovely park, to collude, mm-hmm. to form a, a literal conspiracy. The uh, the Naval Office uh, of Intelligence, or sorry, the Office of Naval Intelligence, the ONI, they needed themselves a rat, uh, an informant, someone from the inside who could feed them information, you know, that they might be getting from the docks. You know, you hear things mm-hmm. along the docks. People are coming from faraway lands oftentimes and um, bearing tales of their travels. And sometimes there might be a name, perhaps a little detail, something that was overheard. Who knows? Yeah. Keep your eyes and your ears open. Be discreet. And they're very clear. They say, look, we understand that uh, we're usually on different sides of the game. Uh, We're not going to give you immunity for any criminal activity that may or may not be happening at the docks. Uh, We're not going to pay you a ton of money. We're appealing to your patriotism. We can agree Nazis are bad for business. Same with those fascists, bro. Same with the fascist. Don't sock me. These are just the facts. And a week later, Sox goes uh, and meets with the commander of the Office of Naval Intelligence. And according to the records, you can find PDFs of this. Lanza tells the ONI commander, you let me know where you want the contacts made or what you want, and I'll carry on. And this marks the beginning of what would be called Operation Underworld. Ah, oh, I wish there was Operation Underwear. That'd be that'd be so much better. Our ideas, you know, <laughs> hit us up for 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 name for nicknaming mm-hmm. uh, people, sure. mobsters, criminals, yeah. regular folks. We'll cool do whoever, uh, yeah, or um, uh, secret undercover operations. Um, so this was a good thing. This is a very good thing. Um, Lanza seems to be willing to play ball. And um, this, again, not only are, are dock workers dealing with, you know, folks coming in on these vessels, they're also dealing with the truck drivers, you know, the Teamsters. Ooh. It really was this kind of hub, you know. So um, with all of this, this network of, of informants, essentially, it was not just one. It was the whole shebang. Um, it kept the O&I fully informed about any you know, odds and ends that came in on fishing vessels, for example, like, you know, flotsam and jetsam, bits of things that were found floating out in the uh, in the ocean, stuff like airplane scraps or perhaps even human remains, um, you know, or, or like flares or whatever. So this was stuff that they could use to literally kind of get the lay of the land in terms of what flyovers, you know, who might be spying perhaps or uh, folks may be encroaching, you know, on our territory because, you know, Pearl Harbor really knocked us out of that complacency in terms of like, not on our soil. This is never going to happen here. Right. These are things that happen to other countries. You know, now uh, the, the, the rules have changed. 
A hundred percent. And it's hard to really understand the extremity of this situation, right? Unless you were there, because these were people very much working with the enemy and folks on every side of the equation had a lot of skepticism about this. Even Lanza's people were worried that he had turned. They said, look, you say you're supporting the war effort. I get it. Nazis are bad for business. But how do I know you're not working with the DA to jam mm, me up? And like, it's a good question. Like, oh, like, like, like long term, big right. picture, right? Yeah. Okay, so we made this handshake gentleman's agreement. It's, I, mean, I guess you said they didn't give them immunity, though, right? That was clear. Exactly. Exactly. But they're not necessarily, yeah, that's what weird, right? Because mm-hmm. they are kind of observing them their whole enterprise, their whole operation by virtue of them participating in this network of informants. It acknowledges the existence of said uh, informants and said kind of participation in all of this, uh, this doc activity. So that's a weird one, isn't it? It is. It is. It's definitely not a sustainable situation. And everybody realizes that in the world of intelligence, one of the biggest things to learn is not always, you know, the information you're targeting it's the ways in which that information is acquired and disseminated, right? How It's not necessarily what you know all the time, it's how you learned it. And giving the keys to that machine over to the U.S. Navy, that's, that's not a good look. Anyway, also, let's mention, right, Lucky Luciano, Luciano family, his crew, they love socks. They're like, socks is so much fun. He gets us a you know, 15% discount off, off, off the fish. And right hook on that fella, let me right tell you. Right hook is, is amazing. But the other four crime families are annoyed AF by this guy. Uh, so if, they, if the Navy wants to really get in behind the curtain here, they have to work with those other four families. So they need the approval of a guy named Albert Anastasia. His street name is High Lord Executioner. Whoa. No See chill. That, okay. I, I kind of feel like that one probably was earned. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that the innocuous, I don't think this guy was a, was a squishmallow. Okay. I think this guy meant business. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't, Lord I don't, High Executioner. It's, 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 it's got a smacks of royalty, doesn't it? You know? These guys really wanted to be aristocrats. They really did. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah, this guy is so hashtag no chill that even Socks doesn't want to mess with him. No, he doesn't. Socks um, was very aware, as was imagine anyone in his circle, of Anastasia's uh, ruthless demeanor. You know, his his absolute explosive, you know, violent uh, rages that he might fly into, and um, the fact that he had a bit of an itchy trigger thingy. He was he was not one to hold back. Lead, you Itchy know, when given the finger? opportunity. Mm-hmm. I like it. Poetry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lanza also just didn't have enough juice to kind of like uh, bridge the gap, you know, uh, in terms of the divide between these different ethnic groups. You had your Irish gangsters that controlled Hell's Kitchen, which is like kind of a, 
it's sort of adjacent to like where a lot of the Broadway theaters are. It's not mm. terribly, it's sort of like the next kind of area over. We spent a decent amount of time there uh, in our work travels in the past. Um, so that area is under the control of the Irish. Uh, this uh, Around the Hudson River piers, which included, again, we've got piers, we've got railway terminals, we've got, you know, warehouses and things like that. So in order to uh, for the Navy to be able to acquire and organize the West Side docks, they had to get cooperation now from the Irish, which is, a, you know, the Irish and the Italians don't get along. So no. they don't really have suction within their already existing agreement, you know, with the uh, with the, with the, uh, the Italian mafia. So they already have a lot of what you would call stakeholders in corporate America. Right. And these stakeholders don't all get along. But why can't we all just get them? Why can't? Is what I ask. You know, know? especially if we're trying to fight Nazis. So they're going to make it work, right? They're fighting for a greater good. So on June 4th, Lansky and a uh, Lucky Luciano's mob lawyer, Moses Polakoff, that's a cool name, Mm -hmm. uh, and and Old Socks, they travel to Great Meadow and they decide they're going to plan their moment. This is a big win at work. For our buddy Socks, because Lucky Luciano says, you have my permission to use my name on the streets. So now, you you know, he can go around and uh, oversee the whole operation, say, hey, I am speaking on behalf of Luciano, of Boss Luciano. So if you hear something from me, you need to treat it like it came from him. I want to know more about this great meadow. This sounds like, uh, is this like a Camp David kind of situation? Is this where they're going on like a retreat, you know, <laughs> to do team building exercises and, and plan their attack? Great Meadow is the maximum security prison where Lucky Luciano is held. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm glad, we, I'm glad we're talking about this because it does sound like it's a nice subdivision, right? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of like, uh, what's that movie, The Land Before Time, where they're all going, they're heading for the Great Valley, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. And then Littlefoot's mom dies. Spoiler alert. Come on, uh, man. movie's 25 <laughs> years old at this point. No, a lot older. Jeez, God, we're old. Um, very sad. Took mm-hmm. a lot of cues from Bambi. There. Ugh. And... This is where we see Operation Underworld is gaining traction. It's happening. The mob and the United States government have teamed up in the weirdest way. And the story's just getting started. Uh, Thank goodness we did a preemptive two-parter here because we're going to have to pause and come back with you this Thursday in just a few days to dive into the end results of Operation Underworld. Things heat up, and uh, flexes are flexed, let's just say. Uh, <laughs> Luciano's got uh, got a kind of a surprise coming his way. We'll leave it at that. In the meantime, why don't you hit us up on our Facebook group, Ridiculous Historians, and let us know any other uh, r- ridiculous mafia stories that we should cover, because we love this stuff. This one is such a fabulous intersection of these two uh, things that we dig, you know, World War II history and the history of organized crime in the United States. Uh, you can also find Ben and Max and I as individuals on the Internet. I lurk exclusively on Instagram, where I am at Brown. In a burst of creativity, I'm calling myself at Ben Bolin, B-O-W-L-I-N on Instagram. You can get a behind-the-scenes look at some of the weird stuff we're getting into from various shows. Uh, you can also hit us up with any questions or suggestions. You can also go to Twitter, at Ben Bolin HSW, where you will see uh, not just me 
but also the one and only Mr. Max Williams. Yes, you can find me on Twitter at ACL underscore Max Williams, where I'll mostly just be trolling Ben Bolin. And that's about it. Nicknames. Also send us send us cool nicknames. Oh, no, before we go to uh, to part two of this, it, it call it a day, I, I wanted to give you a couple of weird mop nicknames. Can I just laundry list real yeah. quick? Yeah. Okay. Oh, man, I, I, I relish these. All right. Anthony Big Tuna Accardo. Oh, these are real ones. These are real ones. Mm-hmm. Louis- Not to be confused with Jim uh, from from The Office. He also got the nickname Big Tuna. He did? Andy Bernard. Yeah, <laughs> Andy Bernard, because he was eating like a tuna sandwich one day, and now all of a sudden he's Big Tuna. I'm going to save, you know what? We'll just do rule of three. I'll give you one more. Uh, I'll give you two more. Uh, Donald, the Wizard of Odds, Angelini. A lot of these are just too long. That's pretty clever, though. It is cool. The Wizard of Odds. But it's long. Uh, It's a little long. No one would call it. That'd be the Wiz for sure, maybe. There we go. And the the one I wanted to end on, I'm sure there's a story behind this. Luigi Baby Shacks Minocchio. Boom. Baby Baby Shacks. How do you spell that? Like S-H-A-C-K-S? Yeah, nailed it. Okay, cool. Another one wouldn't have made sense. Baby Shacks. What is a baby shack? That I don't know. Very untoward. That sounds very sketch. We'll find out in part two. I guess we will. In the meantime, as well, once again, more meantime. Thanks to Christopher Hasiotis here at Spirit. Eve's Jeff Coates out in the world making moves. John the Strickland, aka the Quizster. Uh long may he reign. Yeah, I guess. Sure. Uh, on his side of the, you know, things. Yeah, indeed. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Iberostar Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.